And welcome into another edition of Bleeding Green, Bears, Burgers, and Bearcat Football. I'm your host, Matt Daniel, and oh boy, do I have a special episode for you today. This is the one I've been working on. I wasn't sure how it was going to come together, when it was going to come together. It, uh, As of recording last week, it, it wasn't together. You know me, I don't like to announce things until they're ready to go. And uh, anyway, so pleased to be able to bring this very special episode with Coach Mel Churchma, Coach Jim Svoboda, and Brandon Meisner at d2football.com and myself. This was fun. You're going to hear me cackling, laughing in the background, and uh, a lot. This this was, I'll be honest, this was as much fun as I probably ever had doing this podcast. And um, listen, I love every second of it. It's, uh, you know, when when doing interviews, having conversations with people. That's, you know, that's what all of the work, all of that stuff that I put into this thing, that's kind of when that stuff pays off, right? That That's what I'm going for. So that, so whenever you hear my voice, you're hearing me having an awful lot of fun. And, um, this, <laughs> this just was as much pure joy and fun as I've had doing this podcast probably ever. So, uh, I I think this is going to be a really good one and we're definitely going to do something like this going forward. It, uh, there's more moving pieces, but, uh, you know, if, if you've listened to the, the, uh, round table discussions about the offense, defense and things that, that, uh, Brandon and, and my buddies, Chris Ward, Clint Ross and myself put together and did, those were a lot of fun too just kind of us going around. This is just a lot of great stories from Coach Boda, a lot of great stories from Coach T. And Brandon's memory is pretty incredible when it comes to this stuff. It's There's not too many times where he brings something up or says something that it isn't what happened. And he's a little modest when it comes to that, but it's it's pretty incredible. And, and uh, uh, of course, we know he does, does a great job with the with the uh, D, inside D2 football and everything, which, by the way, is uh, previewing this week. So they'll have the preview edition coming up Sunday night, which I'm uh, I'm excited about. It's where I'm at every Sunday night. Probably see me in the comments um, on there a lot of times. But uh, anyway, one other thing before we get started, because I don't want to ramble on here too long, because this there's a lot of good stuff. Is I was able to go to practice this week and head up to Maryville. Eli and myself, we didn't, uh, you know, we didn't really record anything special. There's um, some things that I'll be talking about next week. I'll kind of talk about the schedule. The season preview is going to be next week. I'll have a kickoff special on the 31st, the day of the Missouri Southern game, because I will be going to that game. And uh, Eli might even get to skip some school and uh, <laughs> and tag along. He's he's kind of excited about that, but. Uh, couple of notes again I'll probably mention this next week um, on practice was um, one Mikey Hoensey looked pretty doggone good there's some really there was one where they uh, ran a play backed up at the one yard line through a through a bomb to uh, Kashawn Griffin who took it 99 yards for the touchdown now say coach wasn't real pleased with the defense after that but it was impressive he didn't break stride I mean it was a heck of a throw I mean it was probably 50 60 yards in the air and that was uh 
it, it was pretty impressive. Chris Runke had a couple of really nice passes. You know, he's a guy that I'm personally a fan of. I'm I'm looking to see some big things from him in the coming years. You know, local kid from from Platte County, so that's kind of nice to see. And uh, anyway, the, the defensive backs looked really good. The defense got better as practice went on and uh, started kind of shutting down the offense a little bit, which, uh, you know, I, I, I was impressed both sides of the ball. And again, I have, you know, I'm, I'm pretty hopeful and, and uh, have, have higher expectations than I probably normally do this season. Now, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? We're early days where, you know, we haven't even had the, um, you know, the scrimmage yet or and depth charts, all that stuff hasn't been announced. Heck, we're just a couple of weeks into, into, into fall camp, but, um, there was a lot of things to like from that. And it's always fun to uh, go up there and, and, uh, kind of see, got to talk to coach T a little bit. He was there watching practice as well. So anyway, good times. And, and I'll have more on that next week. The Bearcats, according to Eli, will be returning next week. Eli will join me on next week's episode, but, uh, let's, let's just get right to it. We're going to take a quick timeout. We'll come back my chat with coach T with coach Boda and Brandon Meisner. That's next here on Bleeding Green. Hey, this is Mike Peterson, former Northwest Missouri State University Bearcat, tight end number 89, and you're listening to Bleeding Green with Matt Daniel. And welcome in here on Bleeding Green, and very pleased to be joined by uh, former Bearcat coach Mel Churchma, also offensive coordinator and uh, former Central Missouri Mule head coach Jim Sabota and Brandon Meisner of D2Football.com. And I've been looking forward to this one, guys. Thanks for uh, for coming on and, and uh, joining me. You bet. Welcome, uh, my pleasure. Well, you uh, thank you. Well, Mel, Jim, I'll start with you guys and, and kind of your journeys to Northwest because it was, it was interesting. You guys had kind of talked before uh um you know mel start with you and kind of your interviewing for the job and and uh at northwest and then and uh talk about how because you guys knew each other prior to that right oh yeah yeah so let how me far uh, does that let me start <laughs> well that that's what i was going to say let me go back um i think in 1975 jim uh i came to denison uh i had been at sioux center iowa uh, as a high school coach, I had been there for uh, six years and uh, got an opportunity to go to Denison, uh, Iowa, as a head football coach. So I went there in the uh, fall of 1975, um, and we had a sophomore running back by the name of Jim Sabota. And uh, Jim played some as a sophomore. That, that's not why you came, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> There's no well, anyway, incentive whatsoever. Um, <laughs> yeah, we started uh, we we started that relationship there. Uh, it, it was strange. We had a great year in 1975 at Denison. We went undefeated in the regular season, and then uh, uh, played Emmitsburg in the first round of the playoffs. And uh, that was a time when nobody could beat Emmitsburg, and we couldn't beat them either. So uh, we had a nine and one <laughs> season, I think. But um, you know, things happen. After that year, and I, I had an opportunity to go to Northwestern College. So I was only at Denison one year, uh, went to Northwestern College, and, but I had some close ties with uh, these guys at Denison. And 
two years later, we recruited Jim to Northwestern College. Jim and uh, we had three players, I think, from Denison. Uh, Jim and uh, uh, Mark Crudoff and uh, Tom Bilstein. Is that right, Jim? That's right, Coach. Yep. I think all three of those, and they all came. And uh, uh, Jim played some as a freshman and ended up uh, his senior year uh, was, a, you know, was one of starting running backs and then he uh, uh broke a bone in your foot didn't you in the first or second game and so yeah, he got a medical heart central yeah in another year that was 1970 or 1982 we got to the uh, we got beaten the uh semifinals that year uh, at northwestern and then uh jim's uh next year jim stayed around and helped his coach in 1983 and we won the nai national championship and then at that point i left and uh went to Austin College, and Jim left, and uh, where'd you go, Jim? You went as a grad assistant, didn't you? Uh, I went to Dana College with Mike Calvert and Bill Blyle. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and uh, Jim was there, and then yeah. you go ahead. Then you, you became the head coach at Nebraska Wesleyan after a few years. Right? Yeah, I went to, and then after that one year at Dana, um, I went and got my master's at Eastern New Mexico, and then I got an assistant coaching job and a dorm director job at Nebraska Wesleyan. And then a year after that, it was well less than a year actually. I became the head coach at Nebraska Wesleyan. That was uh, 1987. 1987. Well, and then uh, we had Jim. we had a two-year contract. <clears throat> I was at Austin College. We played Nebraska West two years. Um, played uh, at at Sherman, and then we played at uh, Atkin, and uh, I, I was 0-2 against Jim. Uh, couldn't beat him, but uh, we, we uh, cheated I always, one I, I always say, I, well, you cheated <laughs> at your play because you had 12 guys on the field. He scored a winning touchdown with 12 guys on the field. With the 12 guys on the field. The play was he said, Coach, that's the only time all night we didn't count their players, and I said, oh, I figured. So, uh, but anyway... <laughs> Jim and I he looked at me. Coach, I said, "We're uh, good. We're good. We're good." <laughs> <laughs> Jim was almost like a son, so uh, uh, that's kind of how it all. And we always stayed in touch. And then uh, in uh, 1983, or the end of the '83 season, um, we ended up. Jim was applying for a job at uh, Nebraska Omaha, and I was applying at Northwest Missouri. And that's uh, that's when we got together. Uh, I job at Northwest Missouri, and. Uh, uh, Jim called to talk about it, and I offered him the job to be our office coordinator, and he didn't turn it down. So uh, we were fortunate enough to have him, and uh, he stayed with us until 2004. Three. Yeah, after three. Left, left, yeah. Season. left after the three season, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and then yep. he went to uh, – so, so that's kind of our – history behind it but uh i'll let fill in the he can fill in the blanks there i i that's what i remember but i'm getting old no so I might not. <laughs> that's a good timeline you did good there coach uh for sure but uh yeah it was it was interesting because uh like coach talked about we had we played each other and you know we talked a lot because um you know th those were the only college experiences both of us had was really I mean, we had, we had scholarships at Northwestern College, if you could call them that. But, uh, you know, essentially we had been coaching with, with no scholarships and we had, you know, lamented over the years about how, 
you know, we'd like to get into a situation sometime where, you know, you had scholarships and you could, you could build a program and, and you didn't have to mass recruit. And, you know, a lot of, some mm-hmm. of those schools, you got to recruit for enrollment and those kinds of things. And, and uh, so, you know, we were both kind of looking for that opportunity and, and, um, you know, I interviewed for the Nebraska Omaha job. Uh, ironically, we did it on the same day. And so, uh, as coach mentioned, and we, we were ta- literally talking after both of our interviews. And I said, uh, coach said, how'd it go? I said, I think I did it. I, you know, I felt good about it. I said, I, you know, Pat Burns is a guy that's been in the North Central Conference. That was when UNO was with North Dakota State and North Dakota and all those guys. And I said, I just, you know, I, I just have a feeling they're probably going to take a guy that's got experience in the, in the North Central Conference. And, and uh, so I said, Coach, how, how'd you do? He said, pretty good. Uh, they offered me the job. And uh, <laughs> I said, that is pretty good. I said, well, if it makes a difference, you know, I, I, uh, I'm ready for a change. And, and um, you know, if, you're, if you need an offensive coordinator, you know, offense is my passion. And you know, I'd love to, you know, I'd love to join you and, and uh, try to build that program down there. And then uh, after a year, we were looking at each other, going, what do we get ourselves into here, you know? But uh, uh, everybody stuck together. It was uh, it was a trying time, that's for sure, because <clears throat> all of us really had, you know, had uh, experienced um, mostly success throughout our coaching career. Even when I was at Dana College in, in, 80, uh, in 84, um, we won, we only won three games, but they had only won one game in the previous five seasons. So that was kind of like a winning season, you know? So, um, mm-hmm. it was really a challenge after that first year to, to, to say the least. Well, Jim, I'm, I'm interested to know what was it like in the seventies and, and late seventies, early or mid to late seventies, early eighties playing for, uh, for coach Mel Churchman? Well, coaches, um, you know, when coach came to Denison, he, he obviously had a, you know, a great track record, uh, already had won a state championship, at least one. And, uh, and so Denison was excited to get him because we, we, uh, we had an outstanding coach there that, uh, that, uh, coach T replaced and Rick Wilco and had a, he had a good team and, and there were some good kids, uh, left there, uh, with some, some good experience. And, and so, uh, everybody was very excited to have a caliber coach of Coach Churchma, and I didn't know, you know, I didn't know much. I was just, I was just a sophomore, but he saw something in me at least enough to at least put me on the varsity. It was me and one other guy named Brian Whited was a was a lineman. We were the only two sophomores that made the the uh, you know the playoff roster. I remember that, and as Coach mentioned earlier when we were talking, we were undefeated uh that season and uh played emmitsburg in the playoffs but uh dennison didn't exactly have a great tradition in football so you know coach just kept doing what he'd been doing and uh brought his success to dennison and and um unfortunately for for dennison he he left and (laughs) and fortunately for northwestern college uh they gained gained a great offensive coordinator and and then uh Two years later, I found myself at Northwestern College, uh, uh, primarily because of my association with him, and a couple other guys from Denison went up there too, and had uh, had a lot of fun. Won a bunch of games at Northwestern College too. So he just hasn't been able to get rid of me. That's the bottom line. <laughs> <laughs> 
I've never tried to get ready of that. <laughs> That's for sure. Well, let's talk about how you guys decided on what offense to run when you, when you came to Northwest, because, you know, coach T, I know you, you would run the veer and, and, uh, you know, Jim, I think it was at least the way that coach C tells it was, uh, your understanding that you're going to have to learn, learn about the veer. What, uh, you know, we know what your offense eventually became at Northwest with uh, lots of different looks and formations and things like that. What was, uh, what, what had you been running at, at Nebraska Wesleyan and, and how did that kind of evolve and change as, as you came to be the offensive coordinator at Northwest? Well, I think evolve is the, is really the key word there. And, and so, you know, some of it with me was because I was pretty green. I was 26 when I was the head coach at, at Nebraska Wesleyan. So you're 26, you're the head coach, you're the offensive coordinator, the quarterback coach. And at <laughs> Wesleyan, you're also the head custodian and uh, right. taught classes and strength coach and, and mowed the field. And, you know, coach knows all about, you know, being in the NAI situation like that. So, um, so there was some trial and error and somewhere along the line there at Westland, I decided that, you know, uh, I wanted to be multiple. I was kind of a, a quasi, um, you know, West coast guy I was enamored with Bill Walsh and how he did things. And so, um, it kind of evolved into that and coach even evolved really. I mean, we were, and I w- wasn't that I wasn't familiar with the veer because that's what we played, uh, you know, at Northwestern college and, um, you didn't run the veer in Denison, though, did you, Coach? More of a wingback, kind of a slot wingback thing. Yeah, we uh, we were a little more of a pro pro style offense. Yeah, um, we ran we ran to my formation when uh, uh, when Mike Kernan got hurt there, and we put Pat uh, Pat Sumlack. I remember that that we ran a little I formation. Yeah. I think that was probably last game of the year, regular season against Audubon. But yeah, I I you know I had always. I I watched uh, growing up. I watched a lot of football and uh, had a lot of different ideas. Um, Coach Corver, when I went to Northwestern College, Coach Corver was a uh, a beer guy. Uh, I had been a multiple uh, offense, uh, you know, at Denison and uh, at uh, uh, before that at Sioux Center High School. And so, uh, you know, at, at Austin College, we ran a lot of split back beer. Uh, I had some good receivers. Uh, kind of did the same thing that we did at Northwestern. We threw it a lot, but uh, in playing Jim, uh, the two years that we played him, I was so impressed with how uh, he did so many different things. He he, he was very multiple. And the, the thing I remembered about him is he killed us on screens and draws. And uh, I went, we weren't very good. I wasn't very good at screens and draws. And, you know, it's pretty hard to run a, especially a draw when you're sitting in a, your your tailback or your running backs are three yards behind the line of scrimmage. And so uh, uh, that was kind of one of the things that I really uh, appealed to me is, uh, you know, so when Jim and I talked and he, he agreed to be the offensive coordinator, we, uh, I mentioned this before we started this podcast. Uh, uh, he, the, one of the things Jim said, well, I'm going to have to learn more about the veer. And I, and I came right back and said, no, uh, you're going to run your offense and uh, we'll, we'll go from there. And so that's how it really evolved. When Brandon, you were at Northwest at the time, and that's kind of our conversation before we got started here was you said when like the the preseason was the media guide at the time or whatever came out, it had had the veer listed. <laughs> I just I just thought they were being sneaky. You know, that that's that's what I thought. They're trying to, you know, things weren't as widely known 
and widely publicized back then, and you could sneak some things through. So I just thought that that was, you know, you, they were going to throw the ball, but they told everybody we're going to run it every down, you know. Uh, that's, well, that's what I thought. You know, Coach Coach is really creative, though. He doesn't – he's a humble guy, and he was an awesome play caller. You know, I was – when he was a Denison, he was a head coach. He called the plays. Obviously, he's offensive coordinator at Northwestern College and called the plays, and we lined up and split back, but we might motion. I mean, I had, I had decent hands, so he used me as a receiver. I would motion out of the backfield sometimes. And, you know, our, our starting quarterback, my, uh, my senior year, our starting quarterback at Northwestern College threw 37 touchdown passes. So that's not exactly a veer type thing. So, you know, multiple veer, you know, creative, um, you know, have a do fundamentally do some things really well. And, you know, when you run, when you and the veer gives you uh, an opportunity to be an equalizer too, because you're not blocking, you know, one or two guys on every play in terms of running the football. So, you know, you know, that had a lot to do with coach's success. Our success was that, you know, you could be when you had when you had the better players, you were really going to be good. And we led the nation. I think my senior year, we led the nation in scoring and total offense my senior year in college. And so we had some dudes, but we also had the ability to put people on awkward positions by, you know, uh, running option. But, uh, you know, we also threw the ball 30 times a game, too, with the great, great quarterback we had, Lee McKintry, that signed with the Cowboys. So Coach did a great job of just analyzing talent, putting guys. He mentioned we had a really good stud running back when he was in Denison. That was a senior that got hurt, and we had this little guy that moved in named Pat Sullivan. That was a great little kind of jitterbug wing back, good receiver out of the backfield. So in a matter of one week, Coach puts together this deal with this kid, and it was supposed to be the big showdown. Uh, at the end of the year, we were playing Audubon. Both teams were undefeated, if I remember right, and we beat them 33 to nothing. And, uh, you know, primarily because they had no idea that, uh, you know, Coach is going to make that adjustment with their – you know, with our offense. So I, I had a great mentor with regard to that in terms of being creative. We give coach a bad time because I still have his playbook and, you know, it's all hand drawn and it's, uh, you know, about 20 pages total. Uh, but, uh, you know, out of, out of that, out of his head, he had the fundamental stuff in the book, which you needed to know, but uh, he certainly wasn't opposed to dabbling and adding things. I mean, he was running, we were running tight end screens and, you know, all kinds of stuff before a lot of people were doing it. And they, so people had to contend with the veer, which is hard enough, but then they had to deal with all these other things too. So I was just, you know, coach said, you're going to run your offense. Well, I said, well, where do you think some of it came from? You know? <laughs> so, uh, uh, again, just, I was just fortunate that I'd, you know, been around some people and, and then I was just enamored with uh, kind of Bill Walsh's multiplicity. And so you kind of put those things together and, Offense is always an evolution, you know. Well, well, obviously, we know oh and eleven and ninety four. That that's a that's a rough year. How how did you guys and kind of that initial coaching staff all kind of lean on each other and 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 pull yourselves through that? Because I think you know you knew probably it was going to be a rough season, but but getting through it is is probably a different story with how close knit Maryville is and people talk and things. <clears throat> Well, let me tell you first, Matt, they didn't think it was going to be that rough. And I remember, I remember that distinctly. <laughs> well, 
were we were well, 0 and 13 if you want to be we were 0 and 13 actually because right. we lost the first two games the yeah. next year yeah um well i you know uh, brandon brandon's right um obviously uh it, what Jim said earlier, we all came from winning programs. You know, uh, he and, and Scott Boswick had won a lot of games at Nebraska Wesleyan. Uh, John Gustafson had won a lot of games at Nebraska Kearney where he played. And uh, Mark Tatum had played for me at, uh, at Austin College, and we'd won a lot of games. So we'd all won, and we all expected to win. And, uh, you know, I, I guess um, after the spring, reality kind of set in we saw what we had uh that first personnel wise and so yeah. Uh, right yeah right and so I, I kind of thought in my mind i thought you know we'll probably be around 500 and uh i never dreamt that we'd be 0 and 11 but i i think one of the things and it really a compliment uh to to the miaa uh the league was a lot better than what I ever dreamt it was and the coaches were a lot better and I mean even from top to bottom and uh, uh, the preparation and everything uh, we had a lot to learn and you know when you when you got a lot to learn and you're short on uh, you know short players besides uh, uh, it it makes for a long season and it was a long season uh, I never felt like personally I never felt like it was too hard for me uh, afterwards people would say well how'd you survive and I said well, I really didn't have time to think about it because I was, I spent my time trying to encourage Jim and Scott and Bart and, and Gus uh, to try and keep them going because it was, uh, it was, it was tough. And uh, they, they were, I, I was young. They were a lot younger than I was. And so uh, we really had to work at, uh, you know, at, at keeping ourselves positive and uh, looking at, you know, looking at things for the long haul. Plus, you know, we had kind of hit the bottom too. So, you know, couldn't it? I, re <laughs> I remember we played Washburn, wasn't very good that year in '94, our first year there. And they weren't very We thought that we good. Were they had about a. <laughs> Go ahead. They had what? Well, no, uh, I said we were kind of, you know, we were kind of. Yeah, okay. Well, <laughs> they were awful. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We were. Uh, so, um, so you kind of look at it, it's like, well, here's one we can win, and they kicked the crap out of us. And I remember I was outside puking, I was literally outside puking by a tree. Coach brought the guys in the locker room, and he kind of just looked at everybody and he goes, Well, guys, it, it can't get any worse than this. <laughs> so we bottomed I out. So I remember. <laughs> I remember getting on the bus after that game and you sitting beside me and you kind of nudged me and you said, uh, it's got to be a low point in your career, doesn't it, coach? And I said, yeah, right now I think it is. Captain Obvious over there. Guys won state championships and national championships. <laughs> Matt, you should have you should have been there. I was at that game and there were twice as many people at the end of the game in attendance than there were at the beginning of the game. Because as people found out that Washburn had a lead, their students and everything started showing up to that game. <laughs> oh, my. I think they were all coming Whoa. to see Tony DeMeo. That's what it was. So, <laughs> that, was that was his first year, too. <laughs> it was. Talk about the your offices, too. 
because I, you know, I've heard stories about snow blowing in in the winter and things, and uh, uh, especially. Go ahead. Well, when when we got there, um, Lampkin was being redone. Okay. Mm -hmm. And we have seen these nice plans of all the things that were going to happen at Lampkin. And when we got there in January of 94, the only thing that was done in Lampkin uh, was the weight room uh, downstairs. They had redone the lower level and the weight room was done. Uh, the locker room was a pit. Um, you know, the, uh, the rec center was done. But the front part, they had built the, in 94, they built the front part right. onto Lampkin where the, all the offices are. Well, that wasn't done so uh we got there in 94 we got we had temporary offices in a building called hake hall which is no longer in existence uh, i think they put down about a year after we got out of there but it it was kind of north uh north of the foot north of the stadium right and uh we called it we, hack, had, we called it hack, hack hall <laughs> yeah <laughs> well we had uh our, our administrative people were downstairs and there was this real narrow stairs, enclosed stairs, uh, yes. up the stairs to the second level. And uh, that's where we were. And there was kind of one big room uh, where we, you know, most of, we did most of our work. And then I, I guess we did have separate offices. I remember, uh, I remember Boswick had, uh, in his office, Boswick was big in, in recruiting. He was big in stick it uh, notes. And so he had a had a cabinet, and he had all these stick it notes all the way across, uh, you know, with all these different recruits and notes about them. And we look like a, wallpaper. We had a blizzard one. The wind blew through the the walls, and uh, his stick it notes all got wet, and it kind of ruined his recruiting for a while. So <laughs> it was, the the rule the rule was when we brought in recruits, the rule was they we did not take anybody to Hay Hall. We, we met them over, uh, you know, in the, in the, uh, in the room because that was new. And then we took them to the rec center and, and campus was nice. So we took them on campus, did things on campus. Uh, we'd have our meals over in the, in the, in the union. Everything was nice there. But the rule was that we did not take anybody in Hake Hall. And if they did happen to get in Hake Hall, we didn't take them up the stairs because it was, it, I mean, it was real nice. And so uh, Jim broke the rule one Sunday. He brought in a transfer, uh, and uh, the young man was an offensive lineman. He was big, and his mother came along, and uh, <laughs> she got Jim brought him up the stairs. I didn't know if we were going to get him back down the stairs or not. I thought, <laughs> I thought we had him wrapped up. <laughs> you can't get out of here. You have to sign. We, we we had we had him we had a prisoner. Yeah, yeah, that that's true. The old hack hall. Yeah. We were, it it had kind of a, I don't know, I don't know what the smell was. If there was animals in there before, or if there was a, if there were some hoarders living in there, or what. But it was, it was, uh, yeah, it was a place to to avoid for sure. And uh, I don't, was it just football in there, or was there? Was did we have other sports no, in there too, football. Coach? Just football. No, I think it was just football, and then we had. Uh, they we had the they gave us the luxury spot. <laughs> and then I think compliance might have been uh, uh, in there too. Uh, Wanda Exine was our compliance officer at the time, and I think she was there too. But it was uh, uh, 
we were privileged to be in that building. I guarantee you that. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you know, ninety four happens. Ninety five, you guys kind of get some key, some key uh, JUCO guys in, like a Kenny Gordon and uh, Jim for your offense, like a Mark Survey, and um, you know what, Jim, I want to ask you about about Greg Teal. And, you know, he's a guy that I think in the grand scheme of things sometimes is kind of a, one of those unsung guys um, for Northwest as far as setting, you know, setting the, uh, you know, kind of helping start that tradition that, that ended up being the 98-99 national championships. Talk about why he why he was a good candidate to run your offense and just what a, what a tough guy was and how, how he didn't let anybody beat him out. Well, he's, he was really kind of a perfect guy, you know, as far as what you look for in a quarterback. I mean, he was an outstanding student, really smart. He's a pharmacist now, if that gives you an idea. And he, he's, uh, you know, he's a local guy, so it meant a lot to him, you know. So he was, you know, he was going to be a team first guy. He was going to be a Northwest first guy. And he, he was a good athlete, and he was so tough, too. So, you know, he was a – he was a guy that you could build some stuff around because he was, you know, he was athletic and he was a he was a, a good thrower and got better and he, you know, dedicated himself to becoming a better player. So, you know, he's he was just one of the you, you just need a handful of those guys. Unfortunately, we had some some uh, good quarterbacks that uh, that followed him and and then coach does you know has always done a great job of building leadership within the team and you know it's really a, a matter of like you mentioned, getting a, a handful of the, the JUCO guys to kind of get us over the hump. But we did, you know, we were, it wasn't just, you know, take guys to take guys either. We wanted character guys. And sometimes, you know, in, in the junior colleges, you got to be, you know, you got to be a little more selective. But we, you know, we, we fortunately found some guys that, uh, you know, wanted to help us win too and didn't, didn't necessarily think they were just going to automatically go to the NFL. But, so it was a nice blend of those guys that were good kids that coach and I still are in contact with some of those guys. And some of them went on to coach too. Uh, and, and then we had uh, Adam Durrell and Teal and some local guys there. And then we had a handful of freshmen that we, you know, coach probably got a couple funny stories about a couple of the freshmen that we signed that did not want to play in that first year. Uh, <laughs> they were hiding when there was time to like look and we were looking for substitutes and some of them were, hiding out but but uh but no greg was greg was just that you know he's what you look for in a quarterback and a leader he's, he had toughness he was smart he was a team guy all those kinds of things so you know really outstanding kid and family what memories yeah, do you yeah. guys have great greg, greg oh, no go ahead go ahead coach well, i was just gonna say greg you know and I, the thing that always that stuck with me more than anything else is during 94 greg took a beating he really did. Um, I remember, I think it was third game we played Truman and, and he couldn't play. He was totally beat up uh, and uh, missed a game. But, uh, you know, he took a beating the whole year and just kept coming back. And like Jim says, he's a great leader. Um, you know, 95, uh, he had a great year in 95. And, and we, uh, we actually won six conference games in 95. Uh, and, uh, you know, so uh, that was a big deal for us we went from 0 and 9 in the conference uh to uh, to 6 and 3 and uh, you know and then coming back i i, I one thing i remember you know chris grison was obviously a, a great quarterback and we got chris uh that 
uh, that first year, the spring of 94, we got Chris because probably because he had, uh, he had ACL store, uh, surgery in basketball. He tore his ACL. I think he had hurt it already in football, but he tore it in basketball. Uh, so there was no way he was really going to be ready to play in, in 94. And we told him flat out, we said, we'll take you, um, you know, we'll redshirt you. We'll guarantee that we're red in 94 and then uh, then you'll be ready in 95 well he was ready in 95 and uh, uh, but he, but by that time Greg had established himself and I remember uh, very distinctly after the 95 mm-hmm. season that next spring in the spring 96 uh, you know uh, we went through spring ball and then I have individual meetings and I remember Chris coming in and of course Chris had been our backup hadn't played much in 95 hardly at all uh, and uh, he came in and he sat down and he looked at me and he said uh greg's going to be the quarterback again this year isn't he and i said yeah i said (laughs) he's going to be our starting quarterback and chris said to me he said well i could probably just transfer to a division one school he said i could be a backup there as well and i said well that's you know that's a decision you're going to have to make well fortunately he made the decision to stay but uh that was I wasn't privy. I wasn't privy to that conversation, by the way. (laughs) No, I got that from you. (laughs) But anyway, uh, you know, I mean that—that's how good Greg Teal was. I mean, there there was just no doubt, uh, and it wasn't—it was even obvious to a guy like Chris who wanted to play in the worst way and knew he was a good. You know, I mean, Chris was a good quarterback, and he ended up being a great quarterback uh, for us. Mm -hmm. But he knew that, uh, you know, going into Greg's senior year, Greg was going to be the quarterback. And so uh, just says a lot about Greg and uh, uh, a lot about, you know, some of those guys that uh, Jim mentioned uh, that, you know, that we got in, transfers that we got in, some of the guys that were already here. Uh, Coach Doral, um, you know, was one of those guys. And uh, uh, we just had some some really solid players there, and they, they all bought in. And, I, I, you know, I give Greg a lot of credit for that, too. He was, he was a great leader, and uh, he – they followed him. Well, and it, one thing I, I want to talk about 90, move on to 96 and, and the, you know, the, the first playoff win, but um, the Southwest Baptist game, first win of, uh, for, for you, for you coach at, at Northwest there in 95 and guys are jumping in, you know, go jump in the pond after. Do, do you guys have any good memories or stories from, from that game or, uh, I well, think I got um, us into I'm the jumping into, into the. I think I got us into the jumping into the pond thing. You know, I, I, with, at least with the offensive guys, that said we, you know, we win this game. The coaches are going in Colden Pond over there, so we had to. <laughs> yeah, we had but, to, but I and, think and, if I don't remember, if I'm not mistaken, we didn't. We did. The coaches didn't go in on the first one. Uh, I thought we went in after the central win because I think you talked your way out of it. The first one you didn't. <laughs> your hair so, uh, <laughs> God no, God no. <laughs> I think I wore no, a shower cap when I did. <laughs> I, I don't remember. Was Central, but, uh, was, was Central the next week? Um, yeah, I think what? it was. Uh, no, okay, it was two weeks. We played Baptist yes. and Rala, and but we. I remember. I think the way I remember, you kind of said after we beat those two, you kind of said, "Well." You, we should beat them, you know, and then oh. so. But then when we got to the central game, he, he said, "Well, if we beat Central, uh, I'll right. go into the I'll go into the pond and uh, right. we beat Central, and that 
didn't go into the pond. It was filthy. Yep. <laughs> yeah. You know, Jim, and to move to move to '96, you've already established, and everybody knows that you like to be multiple. But in '96, you turned around and you pitched it or handed it off to Jesse Haynes a ton. What was the what was that conversation like, and uh, how good was he that he? Uh, I don't want to say forced, but uh, forced you to run the ball a ton in '96. Well, we didn't know what we had, you know, I mean, Jesse was, <clears throat> Jesse was really athletic and, um, you know, a, a powerful running back, obviously. And, um, you know, a, a, a cut above just physically, you know, for at the division two level. But when we got there, I mean, and, and Jesse would be the first guy to tell you this, you know, he, he had terrible attitude and, right. and, and, you know, was, you know, it was, really uh, was doing terrible in the classroom and all that stuff. And, and he was part of our kind of cleaning the house. The coach talked about after our first year, you know, we just, uh, when you go into a situation, you're trying to build with the guys that are there and, and probably in retrospect, we probably should have made that, you know, had made that move a, a year earlier, but, you know, Jesse was a part of that original crew and, and we had just kind of written him off, you know, I mean, uh, obviously you look at him, you go, you know, he's kind of a dude, but, so he just he literally walked in our offices and in the summer of uh, '96 and said, "You know, I've got myself eligible. I got my act together." He had been working in Maryville and put himself through school. He was getting no scholarship money and had no money, you know, to speak of. So he whatever he got, he had to earn. And and uh, he said, "I just want an opportunity to play." And I I think coach told him he had to walk on, if I remember right. Uh, and, uh, yeah. and so, or, or did you get, did you, did you, uh, no, I think give it, I, have, I, had I a little money for him? Him walk on. I think, yeah, I, I, I think I kept some for him. I, I, I'm not good, good, real smart, but I think I was smart enough. <laughs> That's why you're the head coach. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it, it, it's funny because Jesse, uh, Jesse, it was, you know, he was an academic casualty uh for 95 and so uh mm -hmm. he wasn't in, it wasn't even in school in 95 and then uh he would come he would occasionally stop in my office and see me uh after the you know after the 94 season well actually uh, you know and uh he would stop by and say uh you know will you take me back if i get eligible and i always i always said yes i'll take you back if you get eligible and so that's kind of how we all worked and uh jesse uh Ended up working in Florinda at what was at, at that time Florinda Academy, which right. was kind of a last chance school for kids. And uh, I think that probably had a real impact on Jesse because it kind of opened his eyes. Uh, he saw young men that were that he was the same as uh, a few years ago, and he he saw it as football as a chance to get out of that. And uh, and he loved football, and he was a great football player. And so it just, uh, everything worked out great in, in 96 and when he came back. And uh, like Jim said, uh, you know, there, there was no doubt. We had him in the spring of 94, so we knew what kind of an athlete he was. Well, and when and, Greg, when I had Greg Teal on, he, he said that you even kind of put it to the captains and said, hey, is, is it okay if, if uh, you know, we let Jesse back on the team? And, and they all said, yes. Do you, does that ring a bell? 
Yes, that's true because, uh, and Jesse would tell you this, his junior year uh, in 93, when he was a junior, uh, he was uh, he was suspended from the team for a while uh, during the season. Mm-hmm. And I think I think the players then uh, were being back on or whatever. Uh, but uh, I think more than anything else, by 90, you know, by the spring of 95, uh, they had seen Jesse was still in Maryville, and they had seen how he had changed, uh, how his work ethic had changed, how his attitude had changed. Uh, and here was a guy that just wanted a chance to play his, uh, you know, his final year. And uh, so they appreciated that, and they also knew what kind of an athlete he was. So uh, uh, they were very excited him back uh most of them anyway there were still some that uh you know that uh, couldn't quite see it but after a couple of games uh everybody was really happy that jesse haynes was back on the team so yeah you know he was he got recruited to the wishbone offense that's what right. you know that's what bud elliott ran and so i yeah. you know i he i guess he was one of the one of the tailbacks though he was never you know, he was never like a featured guy or anything like that. You know, he was he was just kind of one of the one of the guys in the cog. And so, you know, when I mentioned we didn't know exact, I mean, you know, you look at him, you you, you think he could be great and all that, and, but we didn't know exactly what we had. So, you know, like Coach said, after a couple of games, it's like, all right, we we need to give him the rock about thirty <laughs> times a game, and and, uh, and then you know, but Jesse had you know he wasn't a he wasn't a finished product. He you know he had he he stumbled a little bit along the way. He kind of struggled hanging onto the ball a couple games, but he was so good that you know he he could go the distance any time. He'd run through some guys, but uh, he got in his head a little bit with 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 hanging onto the ball. But he was a fun guy to build around. You know, just to do all kinds of things with him. And as as you mentioned, uh, you know, beating UNO. I'm sure you're going to get to this, but he, you know, he might have made one of the most important plays in the history of Northwest Missouri football. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a game well, that was supposed to be at home. You have the dud in the mud <laughs> against Pitt, and the field dud gets the all mud. tore up. You, <laughs> you, you don't want to talk about that one with the offense, right? Four to nothing. <laughs> you don't want to talk about that. Oh goodness! But uh, you know, you you have to go have to go to Omaha. The weather's terrible. You guys have to what? Tell me the story. You borrow some cleats or something like that. Is that right? Or you had to run to a store to, to buy some some cleats for for the guys? Well, they uh, we did uh, the night before. They, they, that was the best, yeah. the best coaching move I ever made. Is we went to Hoff Sporting Goods and bought about twenty pair of uh, turf shoes uh, because we knew the field was going to be bad. Probably twenty or thirty. And I remember making sure that I had a pair that fit. Just Haynes, I do remember that. So, <laughs> uh, but no, that that was a big deal, and it was a it was miserable conditions. Yeah, it was like, uh, did they have? Was that? Am I remembering right? Did they have the the old school turf, or was yeah, it the, yeah, it was the old old turf, old astro turf, yeah, right, yeah, because so it, it was yeah. like it was like thirty. 32 and a half degrees and there was a there was a, gr- a glaze of sleet slush on the field and yeah coach yeah. had a great idea let's get some guys you know we both had experience with that kind of thing though way back at northwestern college <laughs> we played we played in in uh, 78 i think it was 78 wasn't it coach we went up and played the yeah. concordia up in fargo uh and um 
Moorhead. The field yeah. was, yeah, Moorhead, Moorhead, yeah, Moorhead Fargo. And uh, the field was frozen, and, and they went to, uh, that was when North Dakota State had the dome, and they went and borrowed some of their AstroTurf shoes, and they were playing in AstroTurf shoes on the frozen field and cutting on a dime. And we were on those old school cleats, and it looked like we had ice skates on. So there's a little history with that, uh, with that kind of thing too. So. Yeah, that uh, that stuck in my mind. I guarantee you that. So. <laughs> <laughs> but Jesse had Jesse had 200. And I think he had about 225 yards rushing that game. He was about all the offense we had. Mm-hmm. Could, could hardly throw the ball. Teal completed four passes, and two of them were for touchdowns. And uh, Jesse actually had an inadvertent whistle called back. I can't remember how long yeah. that run was, but he bounced he bounced out of the pile on either third and third and short or fourth and short, and went down for like forty yards, if I remember right. So he had, you know, yeah. Dave Colt might have Dave yeah, Colt might have been the MVP our trainer because Jesse was he was freezing at halftime. He was teeth were chattering, and he was, you know. Uh, and Dave got him some hot chocolate or something and warmed him up, and and so he could play in the second half. And and uh, yeah, that was a that was a wild that was a wild day for sure. Especially coming off yeah. of the the game you mentioned, it was like um, it wasn't exactly the elements that favored us. No, and uh, I remember uh, at that time. I remember in the playoffs the way it was set up. If you played on the road, you had officials from your league were the officials and uh that inadvertent whistle i always kid dwight neveling that was probably the only call he ever missed uh in his <laughs> <laughs> well, dwight that was, was dwight and we we laughed about this. and the funniest thing and i and, and i've shared this with dwight several times but we score on the last play of the game okay and we go up uh 21 to 20 i think it was it was one point Right? Isn't that right, Brandon? 22 21. You're the, you're the man. Pardon? There you go. Yeah. 22 so anyway, 21. So we're up 22 21. Well, we score in last play of the game. All of our players are on the field in the end zone. We're celebrating and all that. And so the flag comes out, and uh, Dwight comes over to me and he said, Coach, uh, you know, we got to give you a, a 15 yard penalty for celebration. And I said, I understand that. And he said, uh, uh, because it's a one point margin even though the game this last play of the game it's a one point margin you have to attempt the extra point and uh i said i understand and i had already told greg teal i said you go back in and just take a knee and uh dwight explained that to me and then as he's walking away he turns around and he looked at me and said coach you don't have to kick it and i said no dwight we've got that figured out we're not going <laughs> to he took a knee and uh, got out of there with a win. <laughs> got to celebrate a second time. Yeah. yeah Everybody ran on right. the field a second time. Yeah. You know, that, was a, that was a great win. Uh, you know, going back to uh, one thing that Jim mentioned in 95, uh, we lost those first two games. We lost to South Dakota State and we lost to Mankato uh, those first two games of the year, just like we did the year before. But they were close games. And I remember yeah. in 94, 95, the first game we lost was to South Dakota State. And we kind of got homered there uh, late in the game. And they, and they ended up beating us by six or three points, something like that. 
It might have been seven six, Mel. It might have been a one pointer. Yeah, I think it was. But I remember walking out of the locker room after the game, and I I said to our coaches, I said, "This is a different team," because I said these guys, uh, there were guys crying uh, because we lost. And the year before that didn't happen. there were no no tears shed. We we lost ninety four. <laughs> so uh, that that was a that was a really a change already in ninety five. But uh, sorry to I just thought of that. So no, it's a, it's a good story. Yeah, it really is. So then we you know we go from Greg Teal to Chris Grison. Um, you know, and 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 Jim, you, you obviously Jesse Haynes graduates as well in '96. Talk about kind of the the change in in the offense and kind of what what uh, you know some different things you did and could do with with Chris uh, back there at quarterback. Well, we weren't going to run a lot of option with Chris. <laughs> <laughs> now you, but, you, uh, you do you have know. to remember though, Jim. You got to remember. Chris against uh, in '98 against Northern Colorado, first touchdown we scored was Grison on the option. Yeah, you remember that? That's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. well, so, well yeah, Grison, Grison was he, he was yeah he was a he was a, well who called that play anyway? Uh, he uh, <laughs> coach Steve like really you running running an option with Grison, huh? Kind of like Johnny <laughs> Johnny Mac running option. Uh, uh, so, but, but Chris had, Chris really, you know, he was just like most of the quarterbacks we had, they were just good all around athletes. And, you know, if you run them in a 40, you know, four, four, eight, four, nine, somewhere in there, Grison would probably dispute that, but, uh, uh, he might've been downhill with track shoes on if he broke four, eight, but, uh, you know, he, he, he just had that ability to, uh, kind of have his know his own tempo and rhythm internally and and so uh but obviously he was more of a drop back guy very cerebral guy you know he's a guy that you know you could do you could put in new plays with and he grasped them right away and he was into it obviously he's coaching now so it's, it's still great passion with him and and so we were able to you know build on what we had done before you know, with the passing game and add some more. And we had some, you know, a few better players around him at that point in time uh, as well that, uh, you know, uh, made us a little more well-rounded. And and uh, and so we just – we started probably just distributing the ball a little bit more, you know, after Jesse Haynes. And, and, um, and uh, you know, I think that made us a, a little more difficult to, to defend, just the ability to maybe do a few more things. Uh, because Chris had been around the program, uh, fortunately he stuck around and, and, uh, you know, was, uh, definitely a student of the game and, and then, uh, and, and then our recruiting started to pay off and we were better up front. And so it all kind of, you know, kind of, uh, uh, worked together to make us just, uh, you know, uh, you know, able to progress with the offense. Well, and you know, this, this is always the time when teams weren't, you know, that teams do that now, you know, chuck the ball around over, over the place, 97, 98, you know, that was, that was probably something, uh, you know, that, that teams, it was maybe a little bit more difficult for them to, to defend that. They weren't seeing that every week. Yeah. And we did all kinds of things too. I mean, with the passing game, we were, you know, we did, we did, uh, the, you know, we did the quick game and we did drop back and we were a good play action team and, you know, 
I mentioned coach was, you know, we ran the veer, but his starting quarterback one year at 37 touchdown passes. So, you know, we both like to throw the football. And, uh, and so that, I think that if you look at some of the teams in terms of, you know, historically football wise, it's teams that probably did something different. You know, when Lavelle Edwards was at BYU, he said, you know, we're probably not going to line up in the I formation and, you know, beat everybody we play. And uh, so it's a little bit like that, too. You look at your personnel, you look at what what we did and coach did a great job was you don't look at you look at who you got to beat to win a national championship, not necessarily just the people in your league because you want to play beyond that. Well, were we going to line up and, you know, run I formation and beat North Dakota State and North Dakota and Northern Colorado and some of those schools from the North Central? You know, probably not. So, um, and, you know, if I'm honest, I just like to throw the football. (laughs) (laughs) Well, never met a a pass play I didn't like. (laughs) Well, hey, it's hard to argue with the results of that. Matt, I I apologize for skipping forward, but I want to piggyback off that comment. Uh, Jim Mel has told a story a couple times uh, that in the 99 championship game, in the first overtime, after Carson Newman fumbles the ball, that you're on the headset with him and you're like, we got to run it three times, don't we, coach? And and uh, you know, I'm probably butchering the story a little bit, but you know, it was funny that you know that's true. We, yeah, <laughs> that you had, uh, wanted to throw it even then. So. I'm, emb- I'm embarrassed yeah. to admit that, but but we had it. We had a kicker that was money, David Purnell. Yeah, and we're like we we're. Yeah. I was like, if we advance at eight yards, that's going to be a chip shot for this kid. You know. Yeah. Well, right. we know we know where that chip shot. How that works out. You know, I, I want to back up yeah. a little bit, too, and I got to give credit where credit was due. You know, we lost Jesse uh, through graduation in 96, but we had a guy named Tony Miles that was was pretty darn good. And so, uh, <laughs> right. you know, he, 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 he was one of those supporting cast to Chris Grison that uh, and we, had, we had, you know, we had clearly had some other talented guys, but Tony was just a phenomenal difference maker guy, just willed stuff to happen. I always thought he had like four eyeballs, two in front, two back, and back. He just had. No, uh, he, he was unbelievable. What a fun on, guy on to kick, watch. Kick yeah. yeah, yeah, he was unbelievable on kick I think more than once Tony said, "I'm going to take this one to the house," and did you know? <laughs> yeah, and then he did. <laughs> yep, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, you know that we kind of got to skip around a little bit or we'll, we'll be here all, uh, you know, we'll be here for hours and hours guys. But, um, you know, you, you go from a Greg Teal to a Chris Grison, you talk about that 99 game and we know the, you know, the, the Chris George, um, you know, catch and everything, but, but talk about Travis miles as he was different. I mean, it was different, uh, um, you know, kind of quarterback, but obviously still a great quarterback, won a national championship. Uh, Jim, talk about kind of the transition from, from Chris to him. Well, that was, that transition wasn't, uh, they were, they were similar um, in terms of what they brought to the table. You know, Travis is a coach's kid, Um, you know, Chris is coaching. And so, you know, that kind of innate knowledge of football was, was, was uh, present with both of those guys. Uh, You know, Chris was more, you know, obviously taller and, 
you know, a drop back guy, and and Travis was too. Really, he was just shorter, but Travis had a a more lively arm. I mean, he could get it out. He was his release was a little bit flatter and stuff, but he could. You know, they talk about guys that throw from different platforms now. How Mahomes was, you know, can do this and that sidearm and all that. And Travis kind of <laughs> Travis had a little knack for doing that. He could be in some some body contortions that. Uh, and still get something on it because he was a pitcher. If I remember right, he was a pretty, he was a pretty good pitcher, a really good pitcher in high school. I think he threw maybe in the nineties. So he had, his arm was, was the real deal. So, um, but you know, again, he wasn't a guy you were going to run a lot of option with and, and that those types of things, but he was like Chris, he was an outstanding high school athlete, a good basketball player. Um, so just had that ability to play within himself and, and he would, the thing about Travis is, you know, you had to kind of keep an eye on him a little bit, but when he got hot, he was hot, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I think he, I think he completed 18 or 19 or 20 passes in a row against Washburn that That's year. Correct. So, yeah. yeah. So, he, so he, he was a guy that, you know, probably just when you follow a guy like Grice, who's a two-time All-American, you're probably not, you know, just full of confidence coming in. And so, you know, I think we did, we had, we had some, we had a solid back. We do it. We did a, you know, we had a good offensive line. So we, in 99, we started off running the ball more than we threw it. If I remember right, coach might correct me, but you know, we, no, we weren't right. red hot on offense. We weren't red hot mm-hmm. on offense to start off because we lost some dudes off of mm-hmm. that 98 team. So uh, as time went, he got a little more confident and, and then, you know, in 2000, he just lit it up. Mm-hmm. He was, he was unbelievable in 2000. You know, guys, we are skipping around, and I feel like uh, in some ways that we've kind of just dismissed uh, or just not really talked about the first national championship like we should have. Uh, you know, we talked about how great Chris was, and we transitioned to Travis. But, uh, you know, the thing that, that that I'm curious about is obviously Mel had won before national championship, but what was the – could you have imagined that you were going to win it that year? And describe the difference between the low of the Washburn win or the Washburn loss in '94 to winning it all. Like that—that's a—that's an incredible distance to travel. <laughs> well, I'll turn that one over to Coach. At least to start with, I definitely had some thoughts. But... <laughs> well, you know uh, uh, that that national championship goes back to '96. And uh, I remember distinctly, um, we got beat at Northern Colorado on the second round on a controversial, couple of controversial calls in the last seconds. Right. And I remember getting together, getting together with those that '96 team and the guys that were seniors that year, the Jesse Haynes and Kenny Gordon and Mark Survey and Ambrose Moreland and uh, uh, guys like that and Greg Teal. And I remember I, I had a strange feeling because they were, they were totally brokenhearted because they thought they were going to win a national championship. And that was two years after going 0 and 11. And I got, yeah, right. that really, really stuck with me because I thought, you know, we, in my mind, 96, we probably, I didn't think we were good enough. I wasn't thinking we were a national championship team, but after that, 
97, our kids thought we could win a national championship. We just happened to have a bad game against Northern Colorado, or we probably would have. And then 98, there was no doubt. I remember Coppinger and, and Grison and uh, the guys that were captains in 98 in the summer, they came, came into my office early in the summer. And I always had summer workout t-shirts with some catchy slogan that I came up with. that wasn't really catchy, but anyway, they, they came up and, they said, Coach, we we're gonna we're gonna have our own shirts this year. We'll buy them, and they said we want you to have one. And they gave me a green T-shirt, and it had the big paw on the front, and on the back it said Florence or bust is all it said. And uh, I said, well, I said I'll wear that the week we go to Florence. I said uh, <laughs> I won't wear it until then. <laughs> and uh, so that that mentality was there, and but it, it you know. I went back to 90, those kids in 96 thought they could win a national championship. So uh, the transition to me, that that's one of the greatest trends as far as attitude and as far as believing in yourself and believing in your teammates to, to go from where we were in 94 to two years later where those guys really thought they were going to win a national championship. Yeah, and, and really, uh, not only did they believe it, I mean, we were actually pretty dominant in 98, you know, uh, I remember Chris was Chris uh, obviously didn't have a great game against Northern Colorado in '97, and that was that was a quagmire too that we played them in, and uh, you know ha we had some turnovers and all that, and it just it really that just spurred those spurred those uh, guys on in terms of uh, you know what they did in the off season and so forth. They were just more more determined than ever, and then in '98 we only had a couple of close games, didn't we, Coach? I remember right. And yeah, it was I, close. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, I think Wash, and, uh, Washburn was kind of a kind of a shootout. If I remember, that was like thirty-eight, thirty-five, or something perfect. Crazy. That's exactly what it was. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, you know, in the in the, was... in the in the playoffs, I think we were. I think, I think all the games were you know a couple touchdowns or more. So you know, we were we were pretty good, really confident really confident group of kids and um and and uh really had big play mentality and and you know when you go against god kingsville was so good that year i mean you know you look at him on the hook and <laughs> i remember i remember steve coppins our, our our center grabbed me before the game and he said dude did you see the arms on their nose guard and i said cop why are you looking at them warming up I don't even want to look at him. <laughs> yeah, they were uh, they were a good looking bunch, I'll bet. <laughs> but you know, UNO is really good, and we I think yeah. we beat them twenty eight yeah. to seventeen or twenty eight fourteen, something like that. That's exactly right. Yeah, we and, um, yeah. So and Grison really play. He had like I don't know three seventy or something in that game. I think. If I remember right, he was just super efficient. So, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, you just, you plant seeds. Coach always did a, you know, a great job in terms of, uh, creating a picture because, you know, he had been there, done that. And, and, uh, so, it, you know, he mentioned 96, those kids, you know, the players thought they could win a natty. And, and so, um, but, you know, you can't, you can't do that unless you can say it unless you can, you know, and so the boldness of those, 
seniors going into 98, I was like, I looked at that t-shirt and I go, you know, <laughs> kind of all or nothing there, fellas, sports are, <laughs> you know, and it's like you're 12 and one, you had a rotten season. Uh, but, uh, yeah. I wasn't going to, we weren't going to get in their way either. You know, if they think right. they can do it, no. they, they probably can. You talk about that that Northern Colorado game in '97, and and I've had Chris. He told the story on the podcast, um, Coach, that he's coming off the field. He'd thrown whatever three, or four interceptions, whatever it was, and and Coach T says you put your arm around him and said, "Hey, I had a kid at at Northwestern College that uh, did the same thing one year, and the next year he came back and or he did it in the national championship. And next year he came back and won it all, and that ends up being a pretty a pretty prophetic statement." Yeah, that's exactly yeah, that right. Was, uh, that was that Lee, was that was McKinstry. Year. Uh, we got beat, got beat at William Jewell. I, we turned the ball over. I don't know how many inter- interceptions uh, Lee threw, but we turned the ball over ten times in, in that ball. Wow! Game. And, uh, I do remember <laughs> wow. telling Chris. Uh, I remember telling Chris that that uh, uh, you know that that you know those things happen, but uh, you can overcome it because the next year we did uh, we beat Pack Lutheran in the national championship the next year. So. Uh, yeah, history um, repeated he, itself. He, he, yeah, yeah, that's for sure. You talk about that great season in 2000, just how good, you know, I mean, there's so many people that say that, you know, maybe that's one of the best, you know, one of the best teams ever. Obviously, um, you know, the the playoffs happen and it's uh, North Dakota State or North Dakota in the in the playoffs. And um, how, how good, how good was that team? when you stack it up against all the other, all the other Northwest teams? Well, I, I'll just speak for the offense real quick. I mean, we were the average, I think I did the math on that. The average conference score was like 55 to 12 or something that year. It was phenomenal. So we were, yeah. yeah, we were, we were dominant for sure. Um, Travis had a great year, Tony Miles, you know, I mean, we just had, uh, we were really good on defense and, uh, and it was a crummy week going into that first game and our bell cow, um, our linebacker was, uh, Brian, uh, Williams? Williams. Brian Williams. Yeah. He had, he was out, I think he was hurt and we just, it was, be. it was really, it was a really cold week of practice. I did a rotten job. It was like in my head, I was like, are we really that good? And then, you know, Partia never quite loses that respect for the North Central Conference. You know, they had so many good teams. Um, and, you know, and we, it was almost like easy for us that year, you know, going right. through the, the regular season. And so I think I over sort of, uh, prepared and it was kind of I remember one practice we had on the asphalt because you know where the band practiced because it, you know it was uh, <laughs> no one or icy or something it was no. just, <laughs> right yeah so yeah it was just kind of the stars sort of misaligned for us you know going into that first game uh, because we were we were awful good going through the regular season yeah that that's probably uh probably the biggest shock that I think I, I experienced <laughs> one of the biggest shocks I experienced was how, um, how, like Jim said, we were so dominant 
and then to to come up against uh, North Dakota State, and they were don't get me wrong, they were real good. And Lamar Gordon was was great uh, that ball game. He, I mean, he was a great player, played in the NFL, uh, but uh, I didn't. I, I never dreamt that we would get beat. Uh, I thought. I, I thought all along that was by far the best team we had, uh, you know, but they didn't prove it in the playoffs. So uh, I guess there's, that's, uh, uh, you know, the best teams end up winning the championships, I think. So who won it all that year? Cause North Dakota state didn't, we were like, well, now you got it. You guys got to win it all. Grand Valley, I think. Yeah. Grand Valley. I, I think Grand Valley ended up winning. I no, so, you, you're you're mistaken. a year pre you're you're a year premature. Uh, Grand okay. Valley, I think, was like like six, seven, and four that year. That was Delta State, oh. and they they beat Bloomsburg okay, and scored right. about fifty in the national championship. Yeah, because yeah, because those suckers broke all our national championship offensive records. <laughs> right. It, yeah. it took us four well, overtimes to do it, but they beat somebody <laughs> sixty three to. They blew, yeah, they beat Bloomsburg with their 13 scholarships. Right. It was 63, yes. North Dakota State played Nebraska-Omaha the next week and beat them, but they lost their first two quarterbacks. And they right. went to the uh, national championship game with the kid that was that they had redshirted all year. And uh, they're to the semifinals in, anyway. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. Well, a bit, a bit of a, you know, in the grand grand scheme of things, um, you know, 01 ends up being a, a down year, seven and four, but 02, that's a, that's a special, 02 is a real special season to me. One, it was my first experience of, of Bearcat football, even though the stadium was all, you know, uh, under construction and everything and, and, uh, and kind of crazy, but, you know, Gabe Helms runs the opening kickoff of the season back for a touchdown and, and, uh, you know, Johnny Mack, who, who is uh, John McMiniman, somebody I definitely want to talk to. Jim, I know, you know, your guys' relationship, you, you, you've been on coaching staffs with him, you know, multiple times in Central and, and down at Tulane. And, um, you know, man, that o, that O2 team, there was uh, there was even more um, throwing the ball around all over the place. And that was, a, that was a real fun season to be in the stands. Yeah, uh, undefeated regular season, and then our, our first playoff game was uh, was uh, Duluth, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and we had a shootout with them, some ridiculous score. Yeah. I think yeah. it was like 45-41. I think Jamaica had like two hundred yards receiving or something. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, that was a while because they had like Bud Grant's grandson or something was playing quarterback for him, and yeah, we just that was a mm-hmm. track meet for sure. I, I believe his name yeah. is Ricky Fritz. Does that sound right? Uh, boy, okay, Don't get me nope. a line on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it was right, no, yeah, I it was. Uh, go ahead, coach. Well, I I just you, you talk about. Jamaica, I, I still go back to, I think we opened a season at Omaha, didn't we? That year? In 2000? In 02. In yeah. yeah, 23 to 10. Yeah, you guys beat Omaha. But it was, a, it was yeah. at home because that was the one uh, um, where Gabe Helms runs the opening kickoff back for a touchdown. Was that? I'm okay. trying to think. We when played we played them one year where it was like a 1,000 degrees. Yeah, we I thought played, that was every year. I, I just, <laughs> we were playing at Omaha. I thought uh, I thought it was Jamaica's first game, but now that, that would have been, been one. Oh, one. 
Yeah, that would have been 01. That would have been 01. That was there. I, that's right. And I and we, we were at Omaha then. And uh, I remember the, the first pass Jamaica caught was about a 65-yard touchdown pass. And I remember, of course, Bart had recruited him. And I looked over at Bart and I said, uh, I think he's probably going to be pretty good, don't you, Bart? <laughs> you know, boy, he, he was uh, he was something else. So, uh, but yeah, we had we had some weapons. And there's no doubt about that. That that kid had the best natural hands I've yes. ever seen. He would you wouldn't even hear the ball. Yeah. He was just like it was just like, and yeah, yeah. he he was uh, he he was special guy. That's for sure. There's a couple other things that I that I wanted to talk about, and and uh, one is um, the rivalry with Pitt State over the years, and I kind of purposefully skipped over those games because um, and, and didn't bring those up. But they're you know that that just one of those you know one of those rivalries over the years from yeah you know the dud in the mud till to '97 you know uh, uh, was it Brian Sutton running the two point conversion in on on the bobbled snap to beat him 15 to 14 and, and pit and um 98 was it 90 yeah 98 the close game at home um just talk about your guys the you know because that that was the team you know you, you come to northwest you're looking to climb the top of the mountain that's that's the team you're looking at they kind of set set the standard at the time talk about your your rivalry with pit and what it was like playing them well the first the first couple of years it wasn't a rivalry um I remember they beat us the first year, 40-something, 40, 40 nothing at our place. I do remember that. Um, but I remember in uh, 96, uh, for whatever reason, I think maybe that was what might have been the first time we went to Pitt for some reason. I don't know why. But I remember going there. Uh, we played them the last game of the year in 96. And we were actually 6-2 and two in the conference. And they were 8-0. Uh, they were number one, I think they were the number one team in the country at that time. And, you know, we were, uh, I don't know if we were ranked or not, but 96 I, or 95, you know, 95, it was 95. Yeah. That was 95. You're right. Okay. Yeah. 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 Five, we, we did that. Yeah. Because 96 was the dud in the mud, but yeah, we were both undefeated. And yeah. And I'm thinking, uh, to myself, you know, they're not really thinking about us. And so we go there and we played them uh, a pretty close ball game. I think we ended up being like, what, eight points, Brandon, or something like that. Uh, I don't know. It, it, it was it was a close game. I always go describe ahead. it as, I always describe it as you were within striking distance, but anytime Pitt wanted to, they retook control of the game. Like they would always have an answer yeah. for everything you guys did. Yeah. Yeah. And they, there was no doubt. I mean, they were, they were a great team. But I remember coming in the locker room after that game, and uh, uh, Jim might remember this too. I, I remember Matt Becker. Matt Becker was never afraid, never bashful about saying what he thought. And uh, Matt Becker is a sophomore tight end in 95. And I remember him standing in the locker room, taking his helmet off and slamming it in the locker. And he says, we can beat these uh, something else. You know? <laughs> yeah. That was that was kind of the change in attitude that you know hey Pitt is not invincible and I and I'm thinking you know Matt uh, these guys really didn't care about whether they play us or not today uh, they could have beaten us by four touchdowns probably if they wanted to but uh, as it turned out I mean that that again that kind of shaped that 
hospitality. And then 97, uh, 96, of course, we, the dud in the mud, we got thrashed. But 97, we went there and, and we beat them in the mud. And uh, from that point on, uh, we had their number for a while. Yeah, I, I remember <laughs> we were like, is this really happening? We go 96. It's a it's a quagmire, and it was just it was a quagmire, and then some because it was you know rained so hard going into that game, and uh, you know them them running the veer and and all that, and they hadn't won. If I remember right, you know, I'm gonna uh, yield to Brandon on this. They hadn't lost a regular season game at home like since uh, I want to say it was. Like eighty three or eighty four. It was something like that. Mm-hmm. It, it was a crazy amount. Yeah. I don't remember the exact. I just remember at that time, you know, the media coverage wasn't what it is now, and there was a radio show called uh, D two Game Day, and a pit grad hosted it every Saturday at five o'clock central. And after that game, like they mentioned that Pitt hadn't lost uh, at home in forever, and it was like a really big deal. Like, you know, he, he had he had to have mentioned it 12 to 15 times in that one hour that Pitt had lost uh, at home to an opponent. So, uh, you know, th- that that was a big deal back then. And I certainly know it was a, uh, a big deal to uh, uh, to your fan base at that point to try to get, you know, to to beat Pitt, like to beat Pitt at all after, you know, getting your teeth kicked in all those years. Oh, and just in in the unlikely circumstance too, you know, with the, you know, with the field conditions and the rain and all that stuff, and mm-hmm. and, and you guys uh, did pulled a pulled a Tom Brady that game, didn't you? What's I, that? I, I was told that you guys deflated the footballs for that game a little bit. <laughs> no, not that game. Not that game. No, it wasn't that game. Okay. Not not that not no. that not not that game. I know nothing. I know nothing. Uh, I remember we couldn't get the ball back. I mean, I, I, I think I looked. I said, I, I guess I was in the box, so I couldn't have said something to Boswick directly. But they had like a twenty-two play drive or something. I said, "Dang, boss, are we ever going to get the ball back?" <laughs> kind, of, kind of like an opportunity to, to. Uh, <laughs> you know, to, to, to score some points here, but, uh, you know, it's just a good example of good team football. It was like kind of whatever it took, you know, I mean, yep. so it's raining big deal. It doesn't favor us. You know, we throw the football and all that stuff. It's like, you know, do whatever it takes. Great one. Great, great memories of yeah. that. Yeah, that was a, that was a great win. Uh, I, I just remember, uh, I remember, uh, I think, he uh, either picked up a fumble or um, uh, intercepted a pass late in the ball game, and uh, ran it over to our sideline and went out of bounds. And uh, I mean, it, basically, the game was over. There was like thirty seconds left or something like that. We got a uh, uh, we got a penalty. We had a, a unsportsmanlike penalty uh, on, on that play. And I I'm always big on I don't like Jim knows this. I get when guys when our guys get penalties stuff like that stupid but he didn't bother me uh, didn't think anything of it uh, <laughs> we ended up winning the game great, great win all this so sunday i'm sitting in my office and we have uh, all of a sudden uh, you know the coaches are all working and i'm working and 
somebody comes to my door and it's Chris Andrews. And Chris was mm -hmm. in charge of our cheerleaders at that time. And Chris said, uh, Coach, uh, I, I owe you an apology. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, uh, that play on the sideline, that 15-yard penalty was against me. He said he, <laughs> he had spouted off the hit players. He was right down there in the line. And so uh, <laughs> we always laugh about that. I, I might have got excited if I would have known it was on you. But uh, I, I, I just took it as <laughs> So, uh, but uh, no, that was uh, that was a great win, and uh, that kind of, uh, you know, uh, again, that kind of changed our mentality. We could beat them. Uh, that was a tough win to to win there. It was their homecoming, and in the rain. Oh yeah, it was uh, their know, homecoming. I forgot about that. Yeah, I, I yeah. don't know if you remember, Jim, but we came in on that back street. Uh, it wasn't raining too hard then when we came into town, and uh, uh, there was fraternity houses there, and. Uh, I, I remember getting the uh, getting, you know, they were calling for the fastball uh, all the way along. I remember our guys looking at like, oh man, what are we in for tonight? So but, yeah, they yeah, were. That, was, that, that always makes it more fun with their fans. I mean, they were nasty now, and uh, that that always. I I remember we ran into some hostels when we were. We were probably eating at the Golden Corral or something pregame, and we ran into some hostels at the freaking restaurant. So, we're gonna kick I your ass! <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a couple of cup, couple old gals. Like, Dang. Yeah. <laughs> but well, didn't you no, have to walk yeah. in through their tailgate area and kind of buy the student section? Oh yeah, that's what Chris Grison told me. Yeah, yeah, that that was still an. Where that really, I remember more of that in 2001 when we walked in there because, you know, we were the, uh, or was that, yeah, it must have been 2000. No, it was 2000. Not, no, excuse me, it was 99 when we walked in there. And, and we walked through that, uh, through that area. And I remember uh, them announcing when we came on the field, they said, uh, Welcome to the Northwest Missouri Bearcats, the defending two national champions. And the guy, the guy, the announcer, after he said that, he kind of chuckled. And I, I remember, I thought, <laughs> well, that's really low class. And they had us down, what, uh, 21 to 7 at halftime. And we came back and, and won that ball game. So uh, uh, that, you know, that was, there was a couple of those games that really turned things around. Yeah, we did. I mean, we kind of had their number because there was a uh, that that game we were really down at halftime, and then uh, it seemed like Johnny Max junior year in oh one. Yeah, one. It was. Yep. It was similar. Yep. We and, uh, down. We were down. Uh, I think we were down twenty one to nothing right before the half of that, and then uh, I remember Johnny Max threw a, a fade route to Jamaica. Jamaica on the dead round caught it at about his ankles. I, I don't know how he ever caught the ball, and he scored. And I think it was 21-7 at halftime, and we came back and uh, uh, scored late in the ball game. Uh, uh, we had the running back from uh, California, the Jeremy. What was Jeremy's last name? Skaggs. Jeremy Skaggs. 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 Jeremy Skaggs. And we ran, Jim, I don't know if you remember, we ran a toss pitch uh, to, the, to the left, and Jamaica had to crack Jamaica was a split end and he had to crack on he cracked on that big 
they had a big all-American linebacker, and, and Jamaica took him right off his feet. Oh wow! <laughs> and that was Jamaica's freshman year. That was another. That was another one of those like, yeah, I think he's going to be all right. So, <laughs> <laughs> he might be able to play. Yeah, no doubt. Well, then, O2, so. you, 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 at Arrowhead, I think it was even on a Thursday, it was uh, the, the clash of champions yeah. before it was the fall classic, the, the first, the first go around, which I just remember Mitch Herring running over a guy and maybe carrying him in the end zone from like the eight yard line or something like that was the, the one play from that game I remember because it was like 2097 or something. It wasn't a particularly close game. No, that was Mitch, that Mitch was O two. That was O two. Yeah, John, Johnny Mac had a heck of a game too. He was like thirty one out of thirty five or something, if I remember. Twenty out of thirty one or something. He really threw yeah. a lot of bubble, threw a lot of bubble screens. We had, we had, uh, we had lost a few guys off of that two thousand team going into O one. Yeah. Or are you talking about? Yeah, we sure was. I was talking about O two. You're talking about O2. O2 was the first yeah. classic? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, O2 was the first classic. Yeah. Yeah. Well that was uh that was a good that was a good game uh for us in O2 and we had, you know, a phenomenal crowd and uh yeah. I just all I remember is Mitch Herring. I, I mean Mitch was he was he was gonna run for mayor after that game, mayor Merigo. went on. <laughs> I saw him. I saw him last Saturday night at Miles Burnside's wedding, and uh, we we talked about it then. You know, <laughs> so, Mitch hadn't forgot. <laughs> Heck yeah, it was twenty seven thousand people there, man. That was exactly. crazy. Yeah. yeah. Well, in 03, the Tony Glover block field goal with under a minute left. I mean, that's that's uh, you know up there for me some reason they didn't block him i don't know how that happened exactly but he, yeah, and he almost overran it he almost yeah we had uh no who was uh was a corner from omaha jim uh i just had his name he was talking he about was great. he was unbelievable no uh-uh uh-uh crystal um, floor he was he was not ridley no oh daryl it wasn't uh-huh. daryl okay Daryl Ridley. Daryl Ridley. Daryl okay. Ridley was the great. It was one of the best kick blockers we ever had. Daryl Ridley lined up on the outside like he always did, and Tony Glover was the second man. And they had two guys step out to block Daryl Ridley, and nobody blocked Tony Glover. And he, like you said, he almost overran it. I mean, nobody touched him. It was it was unbelievable. Yeah. That was Lambo's first year starting, if I remember right. It was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that was kind of a that was kind of an ugly game, but special teams yeah. pulled it out. Yeah. Yeah. Once in a while we figure out a way. So <laughs> <laughs> Well, Jim, you, you brought up Scott Bostwick earlier, and he's definitely somebody I wanted to talk about because because you guys had coached together at Nebraska Wesley and he was your de- defensive coordinator up there. Am I remembering that right? Yeah, he sure was, and uh, he, uh, I think he was, you know, Scott played at Nebraska Wesleyan, he's an Omaha guy, you know, big, huge family from Omaha, he went out to Kearney uh, initially, and then ended up transferring to Wesleyan, and then 
completed his career there and was stuck around. He was coaching, you know, making nothing. He always had some kind of odd job on the side where he could make enough money to help him coach. Wasn't particularly interested in getting his master's degree or anything. He just wanted to <laughs> coach some ball. But uh, I remember when I got the I got the head coaching job there. It was kind of me and him, you know. We uh, didn't really have a full coaching staff there. Um, but uh, we had coached together in, in 86 and, you know, uh, uh, grew a special bond almost immediately. And, and, uh, and so, you know, he was probably happier than I was when, when I got, when I got the job there and we had some, you know, really good success while he was there. I just couldn't pay him. You know, I was paying him, kind of forced him to start working on his master's degree, uh, which I don't think he ever did finish. Uh, but, uh, and he ended up getting a full-time defensive coordinator job at Western Washington. And so, you know, fast forward a little bit, um, coach was looking to fill out his staff at Northwest uh, when he took the job there. I said, uh, look, uh, this guy, Scott Boswick, uh, was, you know, was my offense or my defensive coordinator, you know, at Westland. And I said, nobody's going to outwork him, uh, you know, and he, the kids play hard for him. And I said, now, coach, he's a little rough around the edges. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you might have to bite your lip a time or two. <laughs> and coach said, well, I, you know, I have to offer the job to my defensive coordinator at Austin college. But he said, I think this is too far North. I don't think he'll, I don't think he'll take the job. And I said, you know, he said, if he doesn't, then we'll give Scott an opportunity. Well, Scott's wife is a flight attendant. So, you know, as soon as he got the word, he was on the next plane, uh, you know, to interview. And so that's kind of the, I always, I always kind of, kind of half seriously, half jokingly say that my best contribution to Northwest Missouri was, was uh, getting Scott, Scott Boswick there because he was. Uh, I don't think anybody bled green more than Scott Boswick and uh, and his family that would come down in some rickety old bus every game to, you know, to to cheer <laughs> yeah. on the Bearcats. No, so. no doubt about. It. I think I think you talked to him. I, I think you called me from the convention. I didn't go to the convention that year, and I think if I'm not mistaken, you called me and asked me if if I'd hired a defensive coordinator yet. And I said no. And then you told me about Scott, and you gave me his number. And I called Scott, and I said, "Well, we gotta, you know." I said, "We'll uh, try to set up a time for you to come for an interview." And he said, "Well, you know, Scott was well. I can be there tomorrow." <laughs> because he said. <laughs> And so uh, that we got him there pretty quick, and uh, uh, you know the rest is history. He uh, he he was a legend. There's no doubt about that. So, and you know he was uh, obviously the coaching part of it speaks for itself. But he was just a relentless recruiter. I mean, just many many just millions of recruiting stories and, and Scott Boswick. But you know when we got there, obviously a rebuilding job. Uh, and so it's four of us recruiting, you know, it was, it was him and me and, and, uh, and Bart and coach, that was it. Cause Gus was running the strength program. So, you know, we had to, we had to, uh, you know, uh, log some miles doing some recruiting. That's for sure. But he was, you know, he was, he was relentless. He wasn't gonna, he wasn't gonna take no for an answer. That was a fact. One of my, my one of my favorites would be he'd call a kid up and you could hear him talking 
because you know scott did talk a little loud and you could hear him talking on his phone and he'd say okay so uh so you decided you're gonna go to uh go to <laughs> central missouri huh and there'd be a pause and then you'd hear scott say well when are you gonna come for a visit <laughs> <laughs> scott never took no for an answer he uh <laughs> he, he he was he was like jim said he was persistent so oh my goodness the kid would say absolutely not if that's a that's the last place i would go to i would never go to northwest missouri and scott say okay well i'll call you in a couple days and uh check in with you <laughs> i don't know jim if you remember or not but when we first got there we first started out and of course we had to take we had never taken a recruiting test the recruiting test before we right. could go on the road we had to and the way it was set up then you take it and your compliance officer would would correct you know you had to get like 80 percent. and so uh scott's getting ready to go to st louis i think he was going to stop in jeff city and uh, uh or in columbia and then move on to st louis and so he had taken a test but he hadn't got his score yet and so uh you know but we were pretty confident he had passed so it Jim, wasn't that hard. Uh, I think Jim was probably. <laughs> <laughs> Jim said, uh, "Let's call him and tell him he that he failed the test." <laughs> so, <laughs> so like comes like calls in from like Columbia, and he said, uh, "Hey, what did I get on that test?" And I said, "Well, Scott, we're just going to call you. You're going to have to come back because you you didn't pass the test." And it was like, <laughs> <laughs> "Can't repeat." What? It was said, and then of course Jim and and Bart and Gus are all standing in the office, and everybody's laughing, and he hears that, and so uh, uh, that was just uh, that was kind of the start of uh, of stuff that could happen at, at in our offices. Of course, Boswick thought all the rules were stupid anyway, and really cheated the kids. You know, yeah. just, uh, that, this this rule stupid that. They, they just they just don't want to let the kids have any fun at all. <laughs> he, I, I can still see the play line just bitching about a call. I'd say, Scott, they changed the rule on that. I said, that's the rule now. And he'd look at me and he'd say, that's a dumb rule. <laughs> oh. Boss against the world. Yeah, you know, Jim, yeah. uh, uh, you're not a the kind of guy that needs to pat himself on, on, on the back. You know, you, you're not a like a guy that, in spite of the fact that you've been very successful and you know successful career as a head coach and coordinator at higher levels, but you've been away from Northwest for about 20 years, That's and amazing. and people still talk about you like you were there yesterday and like you helped Mel invent football. Rel is, is relative that, to football? <laughs> no, no. You helped Mel invent football. That's the oh. running joke that, oh. that Mel invent, invented football. I mean, that, yeah. that's, a, that's a tremendous amount of respect that you are giving uh, for, from Northwest fans and this, the town of Maryville. It, was that lost on you or re did you realize that that, you know, that you're held in that high regard in Maryville? No, I totally lost on it. Um, you know, it's always it's it's always just a synergistic thing. I you know I I like to give Chris Grison about as much credit as 
as you know a lot of a lot of people relative to that because he was you know it all start kind of starts with the players and we had a, we used to have a team meeting in the winter like kind of you know second semester beginning of semester kind of talk about goals and all that stuff and and so you know i I think it was before his senior year, we talked about Florence or bust, you know, that kind of started way before that, obviously, but he just, you know, after our meeting, he just got the attention of the team and said, Hey, I want every one of you guys to envision on that scoreboard, you know, 1998, you know, national champions and, and, uh, you know, obviously came to fruition. So, but it's always, you know, it's, it's, it's having the right players and, um, you know, and just to be, say you're a part of something like that is special. But I, one thing that really hit me in terms of the impact that a team can have on a community like Maryville, it was the, the 99 championship, you know, 98 was, you know, unbelievable. And after a while, you know, the first one, you mm-hmm. kind of like, well, there's so much you go like, I'm sick of hearing about us, you know. Right. Because uh, it, it was just, you know, it was just on and on. And then, but, it, you know, the 99 game obviously went into four overtimes and all that. Well, you charter a plane. Um, and and so nobody that whoever was left in Maryville probably wasn't that many people left in Maryville that didn't go to Florence. But we got back late. Coach might help me out. It was like after midnight, if I remember right. So we're coming in from St. Joe off the charter and busing back into Maryville. Whoever was left in town was on both sides of Highway 71 coming into town when our buses got there. You know, they had stayed up, you know, late to and I thought, you know what? This is this is a big deal for this this community. And uh, that makes it really special to have that. And then, you know, just obviously it's just carried on from there. But um you know, it was, it's, so it's, uh, you know, that's why you get into this thing is to have a before and after picture, you know, uh, you know, coach has done it wherever he's been. And, um, you know, I've been fortunate to be a part of a, a part of a few of those before and after kind of pictures. And, and, uh, when it happens, it's, it's really special. First of all, I, I, I've got my grandkids here and they've been waiting for me for an hour and a half now. So <laughs> we better wrap it up. But, yeah, but no, uh, what Jim said is, is just so true. I, I remember the one thing I remember that's always stuck with me is uh, Dr. Dean Hubbard was our president. And uh, Dr. Hubbard would be the first one to admit that he really didn't have a great grasp on football and what football meant. But I, I can distinctly remember right after the 98 championship game being in high V and Dr. Hubbard's in high V as well. And he walked up to me and he said, I never dreamt what a national championship would do for a university. And he said, uh, it's been un- unbelievable. And uh, he got so involved with football. Uh, I remember Jim, he used to come up and you'd kind of coach him through some of the plays <laughs> uh, before the game, uh, some of the stuff we read uh, that we were going to run. And, uh, uh, you know, I just give him uh, a lot of credit for, uh, you know, taking a chance on us and uh, believing in us. Uh, I go back to the very first year we were, when we were all in 11, right after the season, I get a call uh, from uh, Dr. Hubbard's secretary. And she said, uh, Dr. Hubbard would like to invite you and all the coaches and your wives over to his house for a state dinner. 
And I'm thinking, oh, this could be good. Is he going to let us go? Uh, you say and burning so, uh, at the stake. <laughs> We, we all went over there. You know, we didn't know it was going to be our last meal or what, but uh, <laughs> uh, he just said, he said at that time, he said, I just, uh, he said, I know the record isn't, uh, you know, indicative of what you've done, but he said, I just want you to know that uh, we really appreciate how you're approaching this and the kind of character you're, you're, uh, what you're doing with the kids. And uh, from that point on, he was, uh, I mean, even before that, he was a great fan and he's still, He's still a great fan. Hello, this is former Northwest quarterback Chris Rison, and you are listening to Bleeding Green with Matt Daniel. Welcome back in here on Bleeding Green, and oh my goodness, that was <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Hope hopefully you enjoyed it. And I tell you what, spread the word. I, I feel like this is uh, I feel like this one some some gold on the podcast. You know, as a rule, I don't go back and listen to these little little peek behind the curtain and uh, into uh, my psyche is that I'm I'm not, and I think most people that record things are similar. It seems to be a, a common thread. We don't like to listen to ourselves. I never have from my radio days, whatever. It's not that I don't ever listen, um, but as a rule, I don't go back and listen to these podcasts. I guess I should. I should probably download them and <laughs> listen to them and get the get those downloads up. But uh, this one is one that I'm probably in the next week going to go back and listen to because there's a lot of, uh, man, so many good stories and things. This was This was a lot of fun. So spread the word. I'm telling you, I think this is going to be uh, going to be one of those. Actually, there's been um, more downloads recently of the podcast since um, probably in the last six weeks than there um, than there was for the several months before that. So thank you, by the way, for uh, for helping this thing gets gain some more traction. And um, I I, uh, I have a pretty good feeling about this season that it's going to be a good one. And if, if you want to do more things to help, by the way, I want to thank everybody that has donated to the podcast to help kind of offset the costs that are associated with, uh, with doing this podcast on Venmo at bleeding green podcast. So you can uh, donate there again. If we get everybody to donate 10 bucks, that would pretty much cover my costs to do this podcast for a year. Some, some uh, in, We've had people donate more than that, and uh, you know, listen, a dollar, whatever. It, it's not a requirement. Nothing's going to change. I I want it to be as uh, you know, it's as pressure free as possible. Nothing's going to change. In fact, I hope to bring you even better content and uh, and improve this thing as much as possible. But if you would like to, I would certainly appreciate it. It would definitely uh, help things out and. And I have some other plans, maybe down the road, that I have been thinking about, honestly, for a couple of years of things I would like to do, ideas to maybe grow Bleeding Green even more, and this can help with that. So we'll uh, we'll see how that goes. And you don't have to donate. You don't have to uh, give financially. If you just spread the word, we you know get get the word out about Bleeding Green to as many Bearcat fans as possible. That helps. And there's a lot of different ways you can do that. Of course, you can head on over to my website, bleedinggreenpodcast.com. 
over on Twitter. I know it's X, but it's Twitter. I went on a rant about this a couple of weeks ago, and I'm not going to do it again, but I'm still going to call it Twitter. Underscore bleeding, underscore green. That's the podcast um, Twitter account. So if you would uh, throw a follow, there'll be some more, especially during football season. I'll be uh, dropping some more stuff on on, uh, social media on Facebook. Just Bleeding Green Podcast. Search for the group. Search for the page. Like the page. Um, and, uh, and wherever you listen to the podcast, make sure you're subscribed so you know exactly when this thing's going to drop and when the latest episode is is up and available for downloads. Usually pretty early on a Thursday morning, sometimes usually between 6 and 7 a.m. just kind of depends how uh, how it gets out there. Usually goes up on Spotify first and then uh, then trickles down to all the other places. But again, if, if you can give it a thumbs up, if you can leave it a positive review, I would certainly appreciate that. Now, for next week's episode, again, going to do the season preview next week since I, I don't like to change the schedule up. I feel like Thursdays is a good day for the podcast to drop, and so that we're going to stick with that. In order to give you some more time to listen, I'm going to have um, some guests, and we're going to talk about, kind of do a season preview. We're going to talk some MIAA football, and, of course, Bearcat football. John Dykstra from the Maryville Forum is going to be joining me. And uh, among other folks, probably Mike McClure, voice of the Missouri Southern Lions. We'll talk uh, some Lions, and uh, it's going to be a good one. And then I'm already working, kind of putting some things together for that season kickoff special on the 31st. So just uh, stay tuned for that. And also the return of a couple of things next week. One, the Bearcats, according to Eli, will be a weekly thing starting next week. And... Bearcat player interviews, bringing those back. Those start up again next week. So, uh, again, as per usual, usually start with the captains. Not quite sure the order of all of them, but you'll know. And, again, starting next week, I'll timestamp everything in the description. So then, you know, if there's a certain part, interview, something you want to listen to first, um, you can click on that, listen to that, especially if you want to share some of the interviews and things with family that sort of thing. That's uh, the idea. So you don't have to listen to me ramble on for an hour and a half, but I certainly appreciate it if you would. Well, that's going to do it for another episode of Bleeding Green, Beers, Burgers, and Bearcat Football. I'm your host, Matt Daniel. Don't forget, be kind because kindness makes a difference. And as always, go Bearcats. (laughs) 